The following podcast is a production of Hardly Awesome Studios in association with the network. Find us at BICBP-radio.com. up everybody welcome back to another episode of silence your phones i'm one of your hosts chris chavez joined it by your other host sean fritz and have you been away you haven't been away you haven't been flying around the country uh dude i don't remember uh, hello cleveland you work from home right like you don't go into yeah. offices uh typically not uh i go into like once a quarter i'll go to the main Sites. office in new jersey unfortunately okay uh but I do periodically go to customer sites. Um, I will be going to one at the end of this month. This month being June, I'll be in Maine, Portland, to uh-huh. be specific, uh, which then prompted the, you're going to Maine? What part? Portland. I want to go too. Okay. <laughs> and, and then the conversation shifted to, probably don't, by the way. <laughs> Because when I go, I go for work. And when I go for work, I'm not very fun to be around after work. <laughs> and it was, well, but how long are you going to be there? Well, I'll be there from Monday until the following Tuesday. So you'll have the weekend free? I wouldn't say free. <laughs> because no matter when and where I go and for how long I stay, I, I've been to Boston three times. And I'd yeah. love, I would love to see Boston and all the historical Boston landmarks. And like I said. Not. I've been to Boston three times and I would love to see them. Well, that sucks, dude. Now imagine if your boss said to you, you know what? It's not happening anymore. No more working from home. Starting tomorrow, you come back in office. And if you don't show up, I take that as your resignation. What are you doing? Well, I would continue doing what I'm doing, which is, um, let's just say I've been more active on LinkedIn lately. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) did you uh, see this though? Did you see Elon Musk did this? No, I no, I, I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, dude. In, in true Sean Fritz, Sean Fritz fashion, I have no idea what you're talking about. He said this the other day. He said something along the lines of he put it out there, a company email that all executives that work from home are now need to make sure that 40 hours a week are in office. They are no longer allowed to be working from home. Um, and so they have to have up to at least 40 hours a week in office. And Meaning he's expecting them to work more than 40 hours in total. Exactly. And if he's not, and if they're not there starting the following day, he took it as their resignation. Which company is this at? Uh, Tesla. Okay. So there's a few things there that are, he's overstepping. Uh, One, if you don't show up to the office one day, unless it's written in the company handbook, that is not job abandonment. It is at least three days, no call, no show. Right. I wonder what their, I wonder what their HR policy looks like. If he's, he's, if that's the kind of like decision-making he's making, 
that HR policy's got to be like sloppy. <laughs> There's got to be sloppy holes everywhere, or, dude. Or ironclad. It's like it, it's the because he's not really putting out that email without legal knowing it's going mm, out, right? Uh, I don't know. He's. Um, <laughs> There's some comparisons that I won't make because I don't want to alienate probably 51, 49 to 51% of our audience, if you can read between the lines there. Um, but I, uh, I believe he's more knee jerk than um, he should be as a business executive. Also, who's leaking this email? And did he make a That's statement that, that he put it out? Uh, and is that email considered proprietary? I mean, all emails that I get that are from an external source. Uh, or that I email a customer outside of our email domain. And then there's a response. There's about 17 confidentiality notices that show up at the very bottom of every email Nice. Um, that say, this is proprietary company property, blah, blah, blah. You know, the drill. Yep. Um, don't be a dumbass. Keep it to yourself. And, and if, if you can't keep it to yourself. Yeah. If you're a whistleblower, that's, that's cool, but this is nothing to whistleblow about. Yeah. You know, whistleblowing being um, uh, a wholly different yeah. item. But interesting, isn't it? Um, when I saw that, I was like, good Lord, how, how out of touch can you be to just be like throwing stuff around like that? I think uh, Tim Robbins said it best in Shawshank. How can you be so obtuse? Nice. Did we cover that for this? We didn't cover that for this. Ooh, that should be on the list. Don't worry, um, it, it, Tris, it already is. <laughs> nice. Uh, and this being Sounds Your Phones, where we talk about movies and we're back to do that. This time we're talking about... Um, something a little different we haven't we haven't crossed over into this realm yet the the combination of live action and animation it's almost like the real world pizza hut and taco bell (laughs) what um listeners do some homework you'll enjoy it type in on youtube Uh combination pizza hut and taco bell it is a song oh when you said real world though in my head (laughs) I saw the logo for MTV's Real World. What starts happen? What happens when people stop being polite and start start getting getting real real. at the Pizza Hut and Taco Bell? (laughs) Oh man! Um, But yeah, dude, uh, this this is good. This is going to be fun to talk about. This time, we're talking about who framed Roger Rabbit. Mommy's going to the beauty parlor, darling. But I'm leaving you with your favorite friend, Roger. He's going to take very, very good care of you. Because if he doesn't, he's going back to the science lab. What the hell was wrong with that tank? Nothing with you, baby Herman. You were great. You were perfect. You were better than perfect. This is Roger. He keeps blowing his lines. Roger. What's this? A tweeting bird? Tweeting bird? Roger, read this. Look what it says. It says rabbit gets clunked. Rabbit sees stars. Not birds. Stars! Can we lose the playback, please? You're killing me. Killing me. But crying out loud, Roger. How the hell many times do we have to do this damn scene? Raul, I'll be in my trailer. Taking a nap! Excuse me, Please, Butch. Raul, I can give you stars. Just drop the refrigerator in my head one more time. Roger, I dropped it on your head 23 times already. I can take it. Don't worry about me. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about the refrigerator. This is the tale of an up-and-coming movie star named Roger Rabbit and a down-and-out private detective stay out. named Eddie Valiant. Booga booga! Every moment they were together ah! was a new adventure in trouble. Hide me, Eddie! Please! 
It's a motion picture about friendship. Please, Eddie, don't tell me I'm making a big mistake. Love. <laughs> Compassion. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I yanked your ears. All the time you yanked my ears? Murder. Marvin Acme. A rabbit cacked him last night. Remember, you never saw me. Sex. I'd do anything for my husband, Mr. Valiant. Anything. And violence. <laughs> Tunes gets him every time. You wouldn't have any idea where the rabbit might be? Got a thing for rabbits, huh? The whole thing stinks like yesterday's diapers. It's a comedy a little different from all the rest. I'm a pig! I'm a tune! I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. But tell me, Eddie, is that a rabbit in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? Touchstone Pictures and Steven Spielberg present a Robert Zemeckis film. We tunes may act idiotic, but we're not stupid. Who framed Roger Rabbit? I didn't know this. This was based on a book. I saw that when I, I know I noticed it in the credits of the film, and I was just like, "Wait, what?" In the opening yeah. credits, and and the book was called "Who Censored Roger Rabbit." Yeah, keep up, Chris. Come on. Um, it is a little bit different than what what happens in this film, but who cares? Anyway, let's get right into this. It, it um, looks almost like a pulp. Yeah, like a, the cover looks very pulpy, like an old pulp comic, like mm-hmm. from the fifties or sixties, or an old Donald Duck co- uh, comic. Those hard-boiled detective books. Yeah. Such um, a hard-boiled, such a silly name, too. Like a silly descriptor. Yeah. Why would they say hard-boiled for these kinds of, like, what, what does that mean? Like, because you hard-boil an egg, right? So I guess you're soft on the outside, but firm and rigid and hard on the inside. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, Maybe they didn't have cool words then, like uh, campy or um, silly. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe not. Um All right, let's get into the plot of this film. So Google tells us, the old Google machine tells us, and let's see if this is correct. Down on his luck, private eye, Eddie Valiant, gets hired by cartoon producer R.K. Maroon to investigate an adultery scandal involving Jessica Rabbit, the sultry wife of Maroon's biggest star, Roger Rabbit. But when Marv, Marvin Acme, Jessica's alleged paramour and the owner of Toontown, is found murdered, the villainous Judge Doom vows to catch and destroy Roger. It's kind of there, not completely yeah. there. It, it doesn't really tell us why they want to catch Roger. You have to just jump there and assume assume that. Yeah, there's there's a lot more here. Let me take it. Let me take a get it. Crack at it. So a fictitious world, fictional worlds. Uh, fictional 1947 so this is a period piece and i love this era dude i love this era of hollywood the clothing the the uh the cars Mm -hmm. when you know pardon the term but i don't know anything better when quote men were men and the the women were too quite frankly you know or here's a better way of saying it everyone was tough as nails and did what they had to do to get by in some cases. You're talking about uh, a generation. I mean, they, they're literally a couple of years out of World War II. We're talking so, about the quote, greatest generation. In the 40s, right? So this yeah. is 1947, just a couple of years at the end of World War II. So you're right. These are tough as nails people. Like it's a different, totally different generation than mm-hmm. than what we see even, even in our generation. Do you know what I mean? Like, honestly. This, this is our grandparents' generation. Yeah. Uh, 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 being a 
near 40 year old male, you know, this is my grandfather's generation. He was 25. No, he was hell. He was 19 in 1947. Wow. No, 21. He was born 1928. You do the math. I don't care. So if he's out there, he's out in Hollywood, he's in this kind of glamor feel and look. Cause that that's, again, like I said, that's what I love. One of the things I love about this film is the time era it takes place in. So yes, go ahead. So that takes place in 1947. Yeah. And it's basically, I mean, forget the characters uh, that half of them are cartoons and the other half are flesh and blood human beings. Uh, it's, this is basically a, a murder mystery. This is basically mm-hmm. true crime. Done it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whodunit murder mystery with some incompetent flatfoots. Uh, nice. uh, yeah, you like that? Uh, and it's, it's really that. And there's obviously a twist, um, you know, and, and it's, it's a, it's a murder mystery in the present. It's also a murder mystery uh, in the past, speaking with Eddie's brother. Yeah. And um, a guy getting over his potential, his, his sweeping prejudice uh, against a group of, let's call it beings, being yeah. cartoons. From uh, a section of town, right? There's a specific mm-hmm. section of LA. Isn't that gentrifying? Yeah. Or gerrymandering or something. It's, 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 it is right. So there's a specific part of town that is tune town. This is all cartoon. It's a world of cartoons. The people there are tunes and they go back and forth people in the, would you want to live in tune town though? Yeah. Because they don't have boundaries. No. Like you would being a human in tune town, you would like have to look out for everything. Yeah. Cause it's just like, Oh yeah. They just, you know, there's a quote, there's a drop line. Oh, he dropped a piano on his head, broke my arm. That's just normal. Cause as we yeah. saw in the first first scene, you know, Roger just kept hitting himself in the head. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they worry about C, uh, CTE or, or anything like nope. that. Cartoons don't need to, right? Like, that's the whole point to being a tune is that they're almost indestructible. Yeah, which they we don't find die until not. Yeah. yeah, until the second act, they don't die. You can't kill a tune. Yeah. Uh, on the real. So, the, yeah, the real world and the cartoon world kind of interacts with each other. And in this world, in the 1947 Hollywood uh, cartoons when we what we grew up watching as children Classics. are actually being filmed in real life. Like there's mm-hmm. the sets are cartoony looking. I love they that. Use by tunes. The way. Yes. How yeah. awesome is that opening? I love the opening. Well, and so we watched it and, and I know we're getting into a, a couple. This might be all over the map yeah. to be quite it, honest. It, it's but, a fun show. Let's do this. So we watched this and this is one of the movies. I'll, not unlike never ending story that was watched when I was a kid at over summer mm-hmm. nonstop on the Walt Disney VHS bubble pack. If you remember those. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was like a, it was like a hard, hard, like a, it was like a VHS wrapped in bubble wrap. It was Not like a trapper tape. keeper for VHS tapes. Yeah, it really was. <clears throat> the, uh, the, the, the zipper one, not the Velcro triple flap. <laughs> if you remember. So yeah. geez. Oh yeah. Uh, so we watched this and I know it's, I know it's coming. I, I've seen this movie enough to know that was what that whole winding roller coaster of a previous last sentence was. Mm-hmm. And we both watch it. So Ian and I are watching it and she's like, what, her what first time. I, I do believe. Nice. Uh, and like it, it, this is basically a Looney Tunes mm-hmm. type thing. RK maroon, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Bugs Bunny called people maroons mm-hmm. instead of morons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there was uh, a lot of, you know, clever writing there, but, uh, but we watched it. And when the first scene comes in and it's got, I think it was either Roger or Donald duck um, as the, t- you know, with the, with the big reverberating circles 
Uh, she's like, what are we watching? And then baby Huey started doing his thing. And then the mom started scolding Roger like he was a bad dog. <laughs> and she's like, what are we watching? And I'm like, oh, this isn't anything that can go wrong. will go wrong for Roger Rabbit, but not baby Huey cartoon. She's like, what? And then the, when the refrigerator dropped, she's like, oh, my goodness, is he going to be OK? <laughs> like, uh, gee, I wonder. Because, you know, the movie might be called Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And if he dies in the first scene, three minutes into the movie, is this a flashback movie? I don't know. We'll have to wait and find out. That's the conversation we have with him. We watch any movie, by the That's way. That's funny, dude. And then she's like, why is he? Into, what? Because she's in mental health mm-hmm. in that field. She's like, what? What? Is he going to be okay? Are they going to address like his head injuries? I'm like, absolutely not. He's a cartoon. <laughs> yes. And in it's the like, world of in the world of people, they look they not that they look down on tunes, but tunes are just other tunes. They'll they take it. A, they have a specific purpose. Yeah, to and entertain the, us. And by the way, is tune an acceptable yet derogatory term? Right, because at times it, it sounded very shorthand. derogatory in the way they said it back. Then. The inflection, very much so. So, is it derogatory or is it an accepted word like? Here's one that's not inflammatory at all. Yeah. And I will call myself this honky is a hilarious <laughs> term. See, you laughed. And, you know, is it one of those where it's like, I don't know if honky is short for something, but is tune just shorthand because it's one syllable versus two? Hmm. Easier to say. Hmm. Quicker, we'll find out. Quicker out we, the mouth. Isn't there a sequel to this too? Oh, is there? Oh, no, there isn't. Please I tell hope me not. there's not. <laughs> I know there's like three, three, um, What's that thing called? Video games uh, where you can watch, listen to Retro Blist and they will <laughs> they talk tell about you, it, don't they? Yeah, one of them. Um, but yeah, so they're, we, they're filming this cartoon and we meet Roger Rabbit and, you know, we're introduced to the world where the, the, the humans and the cartoons are interacting. Now, at, the, at this set in Hollywood, while this is being filmed, we get introduced to Eddie. This is our detective. This is our main character. And we also introduced to the fact that he likes to drink. He's got a little, little side holster for his, his little, his pint. Wow. By the way, that is, <laughs> that is some ingenuity and some engineering. <laughs> and he's, uh, you know, he's there because the head of the place, RK Maroon is, is worried about Roger's performance because during this performance, they had to cut Roger. Couldn't make the stars appear. You know, he got hit by, like you said, he gets hit by this refrigerator and instead of the stars, which are supposed to show up, there's little Tweety birds and, and uh, they're annoyed by him. And he, he's, and what you said, he keeps hitting his head, doing everything he can to get stars to come up and it doesn't work. So Arcade's like, what's going on with this rabbit? Can you do some investigating for me? And he sends uh, Eddie to check out Roger's wife because Roger's wife may be not so faithful. So he says, sure, I'll go check her out. And he's going to go check her out at this club that she sings at. And he's thinking to himself, all right, what's this rabbit look like? Right. And then we meet Jessica rabbit. But before so, before she comes out and does her performance, we see that this is a club. It's one of those old school kind of like what you see in the forties, right? Like the, where the big bands would come to play or entertainers would come and everybody's dressed to the nines and the ladies are walking by and bringing you cocktails and asking you if you want cigarettes out of those little boxes. You know what I mean? Think the club in Scarface. Yes. Yeah. But exactly. with less seventies fashion. Yeah. More forties fashion. Yes. Yeah, which is that plaid leisure, not even the leisure suit. That was the seventies, but that plaid wool suit. Yeah. Suits are still wool, but like that plaid, like, think 70s couches but on a person <laughs> it's really what it is isn't it uh, and, and and the top hat not the top hat but like the um 
the definitely not newsboy hats, no, but no. you know, like press hat, like the traditional press fedoras. Hat. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you. That everybody takes off when they stand up and say hello to a woman, but put back on when they sit the gangster down. Gangster hat. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. It's that's it's that look, honestly. So Eddie's there and uh, he's talking to a guy next to him who introduces himself as Acme, so-and-so Acme. And he owns, he's the owner of Toontown. Like he's the guy who runs Toontown and he's a human. He's not a cartoon. And uh, the first thing we see is he's also a practical joker. He sprays ink on Eddie all over his shirt and he's all pissed off at him. He's like, calm down. It's the newest thing from Acme. It's invisible ink. And he looks or disappearing ink. He looks down and it's just, it's gone, completely gone. And that sets up. Yeah. I mean, he calls it, he calls it disappearing ink. Yeah. There is a twist to that as well, but yes, that's. I love that about this movie too, is all of these kind of throwbacks to these gimmicks and things from the forties, right? Like the hand buzzer, the hand buzzer. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a thing when I was in like in 1992, if I recall (laughs) the year properly, it was either like fourth or fifth grade. Yeah. But it was just like the most annoying thing. But not to not to Marvin Acme. <laughs> but uh, so they're there to watch the performances. And one of the ladies coming around to get drinks for people knows Eddie. And mm-hmm. it's Betty Boop. Black how and funny white is that? Betty Boop. It's yeah. awesome, dude. <laughs> and they have a conversation about how she's working there. And it's harder for her to, to, to do get roles now because, you know, colors all the rage and all this stuff. Which is a thing that I, I, I mean, we get it because. Yeah. I, at, in my, in my youth had a black and white TV in, yeah, my, in my bedroom. Same. Uh, and uh, I had the little knob on the top because we didn't have cable boxes at the time. Right. Right. We had cable, but we had, I had the little, we got, a, it was either what, however many channels the TV got, or there was like an add on you could get that gave me, Chris, check this out. 21 channels. See, that was, that's to extravagant. Turn the knob. That's too extravagant. We had a black like and white seven, TV. It's seven like, channels. And we just had the, 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 the knob, the knob the on the TV, dunk, dunk, dunk. but mine wasn't a floor model, but the one in the basement, which was 7,000 and a half pounds. Was. Yep. Yeah. Those were machines, man. Those were They're machines. Like, I think they were the same weight as the Sony Trinitrons at in like 20 years later. Yeah. Those things just stayed in houses. They never moved them out. Even when they stopped working, they just became like mantles for things. That's, that's the Jeff Foxworthy joke. If your new TV is on top of your old TV, <laughs> yeah. you might be around. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we see Betty Boops there, but then this is the thing that I really loved dude. that this wasn't going to be a Disney movie. This mm-hmm. wasn't a Warner brothers movie. This was let's throw all cartoons together because on stage we have, Daffy Duck, but from like early 1940s Daffy Duck, his design against Donald Duck doing this dueling piano pianos gimmick, which was is just for me is so awesome. I would pay money, good money to to be in the audience to see this. Right. And that was such a good time, dude. When he gets the cannon out. <laughs> it's the only thing missing from this scene. Uh, and Looney Tunes has done this many a times, mainly with bugs and Yosemite Sam is mm-hmm. the piano trick that do 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 It's like, no, you do it like this rabbit. And then he blows up. He's got the dynamite straight up to the one key at the end. Yeah. But man, no, no, those, that, that is probably one of the best scenes in, in that whole movie, just from a purely just grin and just laugh. Yeah. And it's also there to show us like, again, Tunes are here to entertain the humans and 
at whatever peril, whatever cost, it doesn't matter. It's it's all about them being this way that they're they're disposable because they can continue to like come back. Right. You flatten yeah. them. They blow themselves up. You, yeah. you take off their heads. It just pops another one on top. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not a big deal. It's like Tony Shalhoub and Men in Black. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But notice, though, and, and this is a theme throughout the movie to get the licenses for all these these parody characters, you know, mm-hmm. Mickey and Bugs, Donald and Daffy and, and so on. Um, they had to have equal screen time per scene. Wow. So if Donald disappears and Daffy's the only one on the screen, Daffy will disappear. Uh, when they pan the camera across initially, you, I think you go to Daffy, Daffy first, and then it pans over to Donald. So when the hooks come out mm-hmm. for Showtime at the Apollo, they pull Daffy off first for a split second before nice. Donald gets pulled off. So it's, it's very interesting if you know that, like the later in the, um, the parachute scene, Mm-hmm. You know, you see bugs come, uh, bugs come to Mickey come down first and then bugs and then bu- Mickey leaves first at the end of the scene. And then, oh, bugs. I never caught that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so now they finish their performance and you hear here comes Jessica Rabbit. Ooh, here comes the hush across the crowd. The lights go down. And this, this is what everyone came to see. Boom. The Talica has entered on. the sage, <laughs> the singing. Right. And it's one of these like. 1940s very sultry like this this performance right and the leg kind of sticks out first and then the bosom sticks out next i don't know if you noticed that but i'm just like really that's (laughs) i don't remember how sexualized this movie was oh this was a kid but looking at it now i was like oh yeah big time like like i knew what what it was then but i mean even now I'm like, whoa, they like, they went for it in this movie and didn't care. Um, and, and it's on Disney plus <laughs> that's even better. Right. And now you have to sign into Disney plus with the code. If you want to watch anything of adults. Oh, that's true. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So, so we see that Jessica rabbit indeed is not a rabbit. She is like, she's just the knockout, right? The redhead, the buxom redhead. She and- is a, she's drawn like a classic pinup. Yes, she's exactly. That's exactly literally like, drawn that way because that's it's funny. She's animated, say. right? Yeah. She's an animated wo- uh, woman, and mm-hmm. like you said, the classic pinup. Those even the ones that you'd see painted on the sides of those warplanes in the forties. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Like that's what she looks like. Yeah, not the factory workers, right? But like the the ones that ever you know the ones that were taboo in that time yeah. frame. Um, everybody in the place, all the men in the place, jaws on the ground, right? Yeah, including Eddie. <laughs> yeah, every single person. She comes out, she sings, and she's very kind of seductive to everybody. Gets back on her stage, and she's off. And everybody's just like explodes in 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 you know you know applause and cheering. And so now Eddie's like, all right, I'm gonna ha- I want to go and talk to her, right? I want to go in and talk to her. And he's at her at her dressing room, and here comes Acme. He the guy he just met, Mister Acme. He's re- he's going to go in there and talk to her. He's a huge fan of Jessica. So he goes in there and uh, Eddie wants to get in there, too. But there's this big gorilla that says, uh, what do you think you're doing here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> picks him up. And I love it. Picks him up and just throws him out the back door. It's this huge, huge gorilla with the mm-hmm. a tune like gorilla. The, yeah, obviously, he got on, like, the, the he's got a he's got a he calls it. He calls it a monkey suit. Yeah, that's what he- <laughs> we would. We would know it as a. A, basically it's like, um, like a tuxedo right he's got like the tuxedo collar yeah, and the, we would and call the, it a penguin suit his bow tie the cufflinks but i think yeah. it's just cufflinks <laughs> the bo- it's it's honestly think 
Chris Farley, Patrick Swayze. Yes. You know what I'm talking yes. about. It's, yes. it's basically the Chippendales yes. outfit, yeah. <laughs> which Chippendales, Disney property, Chippendale, not to be confused with Chippendales. <laughs> Chippendale are um, three words. Chippendales, yes. one word. Yes, kids. Don't go for Chippendales. Uh, don't Google it at work either. <laughs> I promise um, you should not do that. Well, but you can Google Thunder Down Under. So anyway, um, <laughs> I don't even want to know. Type in if you're afraid to do that. Type in Thunderdome. It's a little different. I, I would I would guess. Um, don't type in Polish Your Dome. Uh, all right, let's go to where are we now? So he gets thrown out into the street, and um, he realizes, hey, the trash bins. By the way, and here's the, be- here's love the best part too. Right, um, he sees a window. And he knows it's the window to the dressing room. So he's like, let me go be a peeping Tom <laughs> and take pictures with his old ass camera. And he hears Acme in there and, and he hears Jessica and they're talking about, he wants to play patty cake with her. And she's just like, no, I can't play patty cake with you. You know, I'm a married woman. I love Roger. And he's like, no, come on. It's just patty cake. And you know how good you, I can do it. And so we're just hearing all this dialogue. We're not seeing anything. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's again, extremely sexual and flashbulb like crazy. He's taking pictures. Yeah. But he was set up as we yeah. find out much later. This was yeah. intentional. Cut to RK Maroon's office. Roger's there, Roger rabbit. And he's crying because he's got the pictures. Mm-hmm. And I love this scene where he's got all these pictures in his hand and he's like flipping through them. And you see in like one, one picture at a time, they're doing patty cake and he goes faster and faster and it mm-hmm. starts animating. It's awesome. Uh, he gets all annoyed. He does a shot of something, does some alcohol, but it, it like makes him go crazy. He explodes and he zooms out and says he's going to get his revenge and just smashes out the window. And that's why I said the Google thing wasn't as accurate because they said no reason why people should think it was Roger. This is why, because he left saying he was going to do something about it. Oh yeah. There, there's, there's so many red herrings and setups in this first act mm-hmm. that perfectly are called back to later in the second and third act, even if it's just for a joke, like the, the whole drinking thing mm-hmm. when we, you know, when he's in the bar later and, and, and the, I'm going to get him the disappearing ink, mm-hmm. um, you know, something set up in the second act that's then, you know, come to, you know, figure it out in the third act, things of that nature are, are just so well placed yeah. in this, in this very tight script, I think. Yeah, it's, it is for sure. And he gets paid. That's all he needed. He got paid. He heads back to his office and this is where we, we get this scene where we see flashes of newspaper headlines. We see him drinking and passing out. We also see the the desk across from him is not been touched in years it's covered in, in dust but in the headlines we see that he had a brother and they you know they were they, they worked for two, with toontown yeah mm-hmm. um they would work with toontown they did a lot of investigations for toontown and then we start seeing headlines of his brother having been killed having a piano dropped on his head or it was safe no it was a piano um i think it was a piano yeah safe would have been funnier <laughs> Um, so now we know, you know, obviously his brother died. Eddie's an alcoholic. He's never dealt with it. All the stuff sitting there covered in dust. The next morning we find out that don't forget. We see the introduction of a Murphy bed, which is not a common thing. That's old school, dude. He lives Um, where he works. He, he works from home. Yeah. Um, we find out the next morning that there's been a murder. Acme has been killed. And, and he we're goes, led to believe it was Roger because yeah, of the was, previous what happened. 
the discussion. The re- yeah, the reason for it is because the way he was killed. He get, they go. He goes to the scene of the crime. There's a there's a safe that's smashed into the ground where, and there's just like a splatter of red where the blood would be, and then there's like the outline of the body underneath mm-hmm. it. <laughs> so, so. It's and and the safe isn't flat. It is literally no. on a corner. Yeah, like in every cartoon. Ever. And it's a cartoony looking safe too. Not yeah. completely, but not a, a completely realistic looking safe either. And so they're there like, so it must have been the rabbit. He got jealous because this is the only way people tunes kill people is dropping things on their heads. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of like looking at Eddie like, oof, our bad dude. They, well, they knew he's well, and they knew he set it up too because yeah. they didn't really say, I mean, he was a cop. Yeah. And they, they slightly allude to that, but they don't say why he was asked to come to the place, except right. that he took pictures that potentially set this up. And he right. was the last one to see the, the the rabbit. Yep. Which I guess is logic enough. He's a he's a key witness, if nothing else. And while they're there talking, enter Judge Doom. What a great character! Even like the look of this character, the design is amazing. On right, on, and and the Simple, way Christopher Lloyd does it, just mm, he just kills so, it, dude. He looks like he should be in Tombstone. <laughs> yes, he really does. Like yes, it's like old. Like his look is old time. But in this movie, it's old time for that time. Yeah. It's like he's like Doc Holliday's a Huckleberry number yes. two. Yeah. He feels like like out west, like you said, in Tombstone, high noon. You see him out in the middle of the road. That means somebody's dead. Like so he's he, he's here to put somebody in a coffin. But he's a judge, not a coroner. Right. And the way he's he a looks. judge, not a jury. Because, Dude, but, everything and, about this is like when he's called a judge, it's not the normal judge. There's something to this guy about like he's the law. Yeah, he's the law. In, and they accept in, it. In Toontown. Yeah. yeah. Well, he he bought off. I think they said he bought up a lot of things or he made a lot of money or, yeah. or on something. And, and I can't remember the exact backstory of it. But yeah, he 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 weaseled, literally weaseled his way in there. No pun in reference to his his cronies, the mm-hmm. weasels. Yep. Just driving that gangster, car around gangster weasels too wearing Jeez. pinstripe suits the fedora hats they got the, Tom, the tommy guns dude Jeez, they're like john cena from <laughs> wrestlemania 20 <laughs> so amazing dude um yeah so that he shows up and basically he declares roger the fugitive and that he's going to chase it he's going to be uh what's his name from the fugitive i want every outhouse every oh, church every uh, school every home in yeah, a five I, mile radius. It wasn't Fred Dalton Thompson. Fred Thompson, was it? The guy from Law and Order? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and Tom, and Tom, Die Hard 2, by the way. Tommy and the presidential election. He's the Tommy Lee Jones now. He's gonna oh, he's yeah, going yeah, yeah. to chase down Roger Rabbit and he vows to bring the, the, the tune to justice. And when he means justice, he means putting him to death. And he makes an example of it because while they're doing things uh, around this scene of the crime, somebody knocks into a box of shoes. cartoon shoes <laughs> and they all go jumping and running around and these oh little squeaky goodness. ones are going those, off those boots that just walked in like <laughs> like military formation <laughs> like the hitler strut or whatever it is the nazi it, strut it, it's it well it's a militant strut yeah. let's just say that yeah. it could be like any any i took it immediately like, oh, government. okay yeah. but it's yeah. 1940s so um yeah. but then there's this one that's kind of like it's oh. cute and it's all a little shoe. Yeah. It's nuzzling on what's his name's ankles. And he bends mm-hmm. down and picks it up and brings it over to this vat of bubbling liquid. That's called the dip. The dip. Enter 
player two has entered the game and the dip is basically what like um what do you use when you have to clean the the, the art off the thing turpentine it's turpentine um i'm uh where i'm looking for the there's only five instances of dip in this article um but yeah it's like turpentine um typically it, anything that removes paint yeah and it, uh, here we go um Robert Zemeckis uh, compared the dip to Hitler's quote final oh, solution geez. because it's, it's kind of like, I mean, if you think about it, it, I think he said it, it was, it was a combination of a few things. And I believe that at least two of those few things were outlawed in the Geneva convention, <laughs> like mustard yes. gas. Yes. So I, I like ammonia and bleach don't mix them together. You will lose consciousness. Um, mm-hmm. and, and if you continue to stay unconscious, which you will in a small space, it was nice knowing you, I'm sorry to say that, but it's, it's, um, I mean, it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. There is that parallel there, but he is also judge jury and execution and executioner, yep. or as we heard in hot fuzz, judge Judy and executioner. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then he kills this thing. He kills this poor little shoe. We watch this shoe whimper and in fear, and he just drops it in the dip. And when he pulls his gloved hand out, it's just like this goo, this greeny jelly goo on his hand. Um, during the scene, when they are doing, when they are canvassing for clues, aside from the obvious safe and the chalk outline, mm-hmm. you know, this is where the the boots get knocked out, or the shoes, a box of cartoon shoes. But there's also all these other things like the, uh, what do you call it, like a black hole? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're familiar with the Z level character, the spot from Marvel comics. Oh uh, man. Yeah. I yeah. know. Right. Uh, it's one of those, you put your hand through and it comes out the other end, like wherever mm-hmm. the other, you know, or like the, ma- the Acme magnet, we all know and love yep. the sword, the singing sword with Frank Sinatra or an impersonator singing as yep. Frank Sinatra. Uh, and just all these clever little cartoon things from the forties and fifties, mm-hmm. these, these cartoon tropes that again, perfect setup for potentially later in the movie. Yeah. So now we know we have this guy coming after Roger. Um, Eddie goes back to his office, you know, and he, he's, he's, he doesn't care. He doesn't really care. He, he gave them the information he needed. When he gets back to his office, we see that there's something hiding in his, under his bed. We see that lump, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And obviously pops out, it's Roger Rabbit. He's, he's, uh, he's hiding. He knows they're after him, and he's not guilty. He's begging Eddie to please help him. Because he would never do that. That the only thing he meant was that when he was going to, you know, get his wife back was he was going to win her back. He wrote her a poem and the poem is on this piece of paper written in crayon and it's nothing but how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. And he starts one, bouncing. One's one thousand. Yeah. Two one thousand. He just can't. And that's all he wrote. Three one thousand, uh, which is amazing. Um, Eddie's like, no, I'm not going to help. He's like, but you gotta, he's like, I'm not going to do it. And Roger grabs uh, handcuffs and handcuffs himself to Eddie. And he's like, well, if you're not, you know, I need you to help me. All of a sudden you hear the car screech up to the building. He looks out the window and down out there come the weasels, right? Cause they got mm-hmm. word that Roger rabbits in the area. Because we find out through Eddie's detective questioning that Roger asked anybody with a pulse where Eddie Valiant's office was. <laughs> Nobody knew except the guy at the liquor store. And you know, he's not watching your back. <laughs> so, 
So the weasels are there to get him. Uh, Eddie, uh, Eddie hides him. You know, he's got him dunked in, in, in the uh, sink full of water yeah. like he's washing dishes. He's uh, washing again. his laundry. Oh, laundry. You're right. It was his laundry in there. Um, the weasels come in. They don't, they, you know, they search the place and then they take off. Then they enter Dolores and the bar that Dolores works at. Ah. She wants to, he, Eddie wants to hide him in the bar because right. the bar has a speakeasy, uh, like a, a bootlegger's uh, cabinet. Because mm-hmm. remember, this happened. This was not long after yeah. prohibition ended. Yeah, yeah, just a few years, maybe ten years. Ten, yeah, tenish. Twenty first Amendment, right? Who doesn't know that? Who shouldn't know that? But yeah, this uh, is that. This is that time era. Yeah, it's uh, it was repealing of prohibition. Uh, uh, let's see, nineteen thirty three. So that's the answer to that question. Um. But then Eddie, basically Eddie and Dolores in the bar, he's like, can I hide him here for a couple of days in this yeah. room? The room has a bar, uh, a bed. Um, and it's got a, you know, the, I love the, the you know, the, the, the trope of yeah. you open up a, uh, it's a electrical outlet. Uh, Oscar Roger looks through the, the, <laughs> the thing and his eyes get all big and he knocks over a couple of glasses. <laughs> uh, but then they go out to the bar, Eddie and, and Dolores, who is Eddie's girlfriend and she works there. And uh, what, what happens there? They um, they have a conversation about hiding the rabbit. Dolores is a little tired of the, the hustle and bustle of every day yep. of 1947. Well, I'm sorry to say Dolores, it gets worse. It gets uh, worse from there. I mean, like in 1990 something, 2022, it gets much more, yeah. uh, hus- more hustly, very much more bustly. And then uh, they go somewhere. Or he, he needs a camera. Who shows up? Oh yeah. Doom shows up. And, uh, at this point he's looking for a rabbit. The weasels are looking, they're tearing everything up. Yeah. And then Doom's, uh, Doom's like, ah, right, right. Uh, what's he do? He like drags his fingers across the chalkboard and writes $5,000 for rabbit mm-hmm. soup. Yep. Pulls out the dip. And then he does the old yeah. no tune can resist. Shave and haircut. haircut. Yeah. Yeah. He knows, he knows they're hiding him. He's heard that the rabbit was there. And like you said, he's, he says, well, we're going to get him out. We're going to smoke him out. And no tune can resist the shave and the haircut gimmick. So he's going around the room, just knocking it on everything on the, on, on the bar, on the wall. And when he gets to the same wall where Roger's at, and you can see on the other side of the wall, Roger's well, just like, they cut to Eddie. Dying, Eddie's talk. Well, Eddie's talking to him. There's a side shot of Eddie looking through the electrical outlet. And then he's saying, Roger, calm down. Just relax. He'll be, he'll be in and out in a few minutes. Uh-huh. He's like, it's just, it's just noise. Just uh-huh. shh, don't listen. Uh, just and then you, you cut to Roger doing the most obvious cartoon action ever. <laughs> his ears are twisting up like the tricks rabbit. <laughs> he's or the guy from Nestle, the Nestle mouth. quick rabbit. Yeah. He's like turning colors. <laughs> he's trying like, to hold it in. His face is like, it's in a wind tunnel and it explodes. That's it. Hey, he can't help oh, it. Yeah. He, he right through the wall. Boom. Two bits. Two bits done. Yep. Gets snagged. And this was right after, actually, remember the part where Dolores and Eddie are, are talking in the speakeasy and Roger's out front and he's got the record going with the old gramophone and he's like smashing every plate over his head, singing and dancing, <laughs> which also comes back later. Yeah. Oh, we can't forget this either. Right before the two uh, two bits thing, Eddie left f- for a little bit before he came back or or he was approached by Jessica because Jessica is just like, no, we were set up. You know, that wasn't mm. um, it wasn't was it? Roger. There was no way Roger right. did it. It was set up and and 
he was, I was forced to pose for those, you know, those, those, those photographs. So Eddie now is like, wait a second, you were, you knew that I was going to be taking pictures. What's going on here. Right. Um, but that's when, and then after that is when the shave and the haircut thing happens mm-hmm. and, uh, he takes, he ends up taking, taking Roger and, uh, doom next? tries to doom tries to dip Roger. And right before he dips him, Eddie goes to give him a call. Here's a callback, uh, uh, a shot of liquor. And, ah, that's right. And uh, he wasn't going to drink it. He didn't drink it, but they were doing that, the old drink it. No, you want it. No, yeah, I don't. Yeah, yes, psychology. you do. No, I don't. No, you don't. Yes, I yes, do. I no, do. you don't. Yeah. Give it to me. And then that leads to them escaping. He kicks over the dip. The, the weasels get out of the way. Yep. Uh, Doom's just standing there. They run away. And um, something else happens after that. Yeah. So they ended up getting uh, the, the cab. Benny the cab shows oh, yeah. up. They end That's up right. getting the cab and the cab takes him out to a theater. And they at the theater. Um at the theater, remember that that's where oh, the, yeah. Eddie sees they're, the they're news. Hiding. Yeah, they're hiding in, yeah. in air quotes in the top balcony. Again, this type of old opera style movie theater. Yeah. It's just I love these, I love these landmarks and this yeah, this uh great production. Uh great, the era. great uh yeah, yeah, very much so. Um they see the newsreel about maroon cartoons and um being sold to this industry cloverfield industry clover leaf yes eddie was going to just get out of town him and dolores Mm -hmm. but then when he hears the connection of acme and um uh what's the other one uh i can't think the pacific electric clover leaf industries and maroon cartoons uh maroon cartoons and acme and and acme tunes exactly he he find he finally gets the the connection Mm -hmm. and then he goes to confront um the guy that paid yeah. him at the beginning. Maroon. Yeah, he goes to confront him. Yeah. Was it Maroon? Yeah. 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 Because and, and Eddie he wasn't gonna sell. Right. Turns out he wasn't gonna sell unless Acme sold. Right. And Cloverleaf was the middle property. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's uh oh there it's it's not unlike uh Quantum of Solace, quite frankly. He's buying up all these little properties that that inherently have no value, but collectively all together, right? Yeah, there and then you know, then we see uh what is it? There's a confrontation. Uh, Roger was in the trunk at this point in a car. Yeah. And uh, he and got, that, he got kidnapped by his own wife. His wife. Oh kidnapped yeah. yeah. Him. He was watching out for, for Eddie. That's right. <laughs> uh, he was playing uh, lookout and he got, he got bonked on the head. Yep. Uh, eventually takes a car and haul and, you know, leaves. Um, but, while, but then while Maroon's talking to Eddie, yeah. we see that gun, this big, super long barrel of a gun comes through the, the blinds yeah. and shoots him. Pow. Kills him. Shoots Maroon. shoots Maroon and then he looks out the Eddie. window. Yeah, he looks out the window and sees Jessica running. So he's like, Well, she's yep. a murderer. Yep. Because the basically that's what the that's the the proof, so to speak. That's yep. uh, that's the evidence. That's the word exactly. I couldn't think of. And she's on her way to Toontown. She she's piecing out. And so mm-hmm. now he's like, Oh God, I gotta go to Toontown, which he hasn't yeah. been to since the death of his son, brother. I, I love the way that uh uh, he's he's talking to somebody or he gets he catches up with her and she's like no that was the gun that killed your brother you didn't recognize it yeah and and then that we get a, a data dump an exposition and she's like we got to go this way and he's like no toontown's that way mm-hmm. cue benny the cab because mm-hmm. earlier he said if you need me just stick your thumb out and i'll be there yep and benny does his thing he goes to the gates of toontown we see all the yosemite sand bullets you could ever want <laughs> and this 
which the gun was gifted to Eddie by yeah. Yosemite. I love the, yeah. the little touches there, the little nuances. It is cool, dude. And I love that gun, that cartoonish looking gun. You know what I oh, mean? In his hand, it just looks so goofy. And it moved a little bit too. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a static, right. hard piece of metal. It was animated living thing yeah well that too it was a living thing so but i so how does jessica know all of the stuff behind this why didn't she just say it if she knew it ahead of time because she's the one who tells eddie it was doom who actually killed acme and maroon so how did she know i don't know but we 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 do learn though the the whole plot of this is to find the will of rk maroon yes because or uh, marvin and acme excuse me because yes, yes, yes in his will it legend says that he leaves tune. He bequeaths Toontown to the tunes. Yep. And if not, then Toontown is a property owned by whoever owns possibly the movie studios, possibly yep. the red car. And it being one company, mm-hmm. one co- Well, one owner. Yeah. And that one owner or that corporation or corporations that own it would then have, Control. would then own Toontown because property lines and whatever else. And um, who owns that company? Well, we find well, out. Yeah, we find out later. It's uh, one Judge Doom, the sole owner. Yep. 100% of the shares. And his point is what he wants to do is he wants to get rid of Toontown. He's going to use dip on the entire town, open up space so that they can build a freeway. That's which a crazy is going idea. to It's going to revolutionize travel. It's going to be six lanes, freeway. And they're just like, <laughs> And with what? Don't forget with what stores. An idiotic idea. <laughs> roads, miles, as far as the eye can see, with yeah. convenient on and off ramps, shopping yep. centers, and restaurants. Lots of money to be made. And so everybody's but like, how is the road crazy? Going? Unless it's like a toll road, how is he going to make money on it? He's just going to be pouring money. I mean, I don't know that it's got to be tolls, dude. He was going to make people pay to get on it. You know that, or right? he owned the properties as well and make the businesses pay money, almost like a franchise pays money to have something. Yeah, the name. I mean, I guess he could, make, you know, raise the rent. Or but that's his goal. Yeah, and they're uh, they're like, yeah, we got to stop him. We got to find this this thing, and they couldn't find it. And um, there's this point where Eddie comes to the realization that. Because he's he's got this love letter that Jessica uh, that Roger wrote for Jessica on that with the scribbling on it, right? And um, he has it in his pocket, and I can't remember like when it comes to realization that that that's what it was. And he's still wearing end. his and he's still wearing his clothes two days from two day two days yep. earlier. That yep. that uh, Marvin Acme sprayed him with the disappearing ink, ah, which and it came back. By the way, it's reappearing ink as well. Yes, he has a brainwave, and this is after the the big bad is defeated. Uh, he gives Roger the love letter and said, yep. because all the tunes are there. And he says, why don't you read this? And he starts reading one, 1,000, two, 1,000. I Marvin Acme of sound Bequeen, body and yeah. mind bequeath tune town to the tunes and everybody's happy. Yeah, that is the end. But before there, we have to destroy the bad guy and doom wants to destroy Jessica and Roger. Um, he's got them up on a hook. He's got, he's spraying the, what the is that? A Panzer tank with like an American gladiators, tennis ball shooter modified for dip. Not just that, but like, really, we're going to go the old school, like Batman Slow. villain route and give them time to get away. You know what I mean? Like I always thought to myself, you could kill any of your, your superheroes immediately. What was the point in slowly torturing them knowing the death was coming? Because it, I don't know the, because the weasels had Eddie cornered and yeah. And, you know, he trusted them to do what they couldn't, 
you know, what they eventually couldn't do. And, you know, they're outnumbered and they have um, invincible, invulnerability, invincibility, yep. um, you know, all that stuff. So unless they, as we find out earlier, unless they laugh too much, <laughs> which is, will, which is amazing. Oh Cause that happens. And I, I like the part where as each of these weasels keeps getting killed, killed mm-hmm. off you see their little ghosts go up into heaven and they have the little like angel robes and wings and the harps mm-hmm. the one of them one of them was like trying to pull his, his body trying to pull his soul back into his body and while he was on his way up he he triggered the you know the the, the tank was disabled and then yep. he, the, the soul re-abled it re-enabled it um so yeah, we get that moment where, you know, ju- just at the nick of time, they end up stopping it in time and Eddie's fighting with Dr. Doom or Dr. Doom with Judge, Judge Doom. Doom. That, that would be a wholly different thing. <laughs> and then there comes this moment where there's a steamroller that's involved. And as it's, it, it's like, it's right coming up right behind Doom it ends up rolling him over, literally flattening Judge Doom out. Well, and Eddie got him stuck to the steamroller with yep. some super duper glue but Eddie used the magnet to get out of where he was stuck to the big, and he acne, used the, yep. the, the hole the holes. He pulled out a singing sword at one point. And, yep. So all know, of those all things came back callbacks yeah. and setups. Yep. Um, after the thing flattens doom, everybody's like, Holy crap, that thing just flattened a human being, except it didn't all of a sudden we hear this, we see it curling up. The body starts curling up and it stands up and it's super flat. And you're like, what the heck? And immediately the realization is in, Judge Doom is a tune mm-hmm. and he's got like these crazy wild red cartoony eyes and a high voice. And he's looking at Eddie and he says, don't you remember me? Don't you remember hearing this voice when I killed your brother? And mm-hmm. now we know, boom, that's who and, it is. And Doom, he just goes way over the top <laughs> and his <laughs> eyes become like literal daggers at one yep. point. His yep. hair is like his hair looks like butters from South Park. <laughs> it's it's that haircut it's yeah. bleach blonde now we it, know like, why he wore the hat the whole time <laughs> yeah it's like it's like doom becomes the most unfunny tune i mean not that he was funny was before, terrifying dude but like some of the like and then you know when the big bad comes back just like carl does in die hard one uh or you know before sergeant Powell busts a cap in him yeah um he it, it's so funny how like He's got like, he takes a glove off and guess what? It's not a fist. It's a freaking gold plated anvil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the, he's a cartoon he's dude springs on his shoes. And so he's now channeling his inner tune because words out and yeah. it's just, it's such a good, I mean, we're totally skipping the best part though, where Eddie just embraces his inner tune and just does an Eddie, the Eddie Valiant song and dance, you know, and where he actually oh. kills all the weasels. That's right. That is a great side, dude. He That's does awesome. all the shtick. Like he jumps on a rake and it hits him right in the forehead or, <laughs> you know, he, he slips and falls on a whole bunch of marbles and, yep. and, you know, just so many funny done too many times to not be funny, but funny nonetheless yeah. gags of cartoons and like slapstick and Pratt falls and, and everything else. But then cut to then this fight in which finally at the end, he ends up, Eddie ends up dumping, all the dip out onto the floor and, and doom gets caught in it and he melts away and mm-hmm. there goes doom except for the little eyeballs are rolling around yeah the eyeballs and the clothing everything yeah. else nope and then again at the end you know the the realization that that the uh 
ink is reappearing and i bet you this paper was it and now we find out the tunes get to have toontown and toontown is a sunny day everything always back to it how about that entrance to toontown at the very beginning though like when Jeez. he first drove into it it was like the uh it was like the the the, the water tunnel ride in Willy Wonka, right? Like that, just that maniacally crazy stuff happening as he's driving into town. Oh my God. Like, and he properly squints because he goes from night into Toontown, yeah. which is bright as shit. It's got the sun <laughs> from super Mario brothers three uh, and, and everything's singing. Welcome to Toontown. Geez. But anyway, yeah. So that's, that's, that's who framed Roger rabbit. We find out that he didn't kill Acme, uh, that there was a lot of nefarious things happening in 1947, la but thanks to uh you know the hard work of a hard-boiled detective like eddie valiant who gave up the drink at the very end knew mm-hmm. he didn't need it anymore um you know all's well that ends well yeah. and then we got um porky pig letting us know that's all folks yeah well we see the quote-unquote origin of yeah yeah so um yeah, that's the plot. That was the plot of the film. Let's talk about the actors and the actresses that are in this film, voice and living, or not living, but live action. Live action, yeah. Right away, Hoskins, Bob Hoskins. So you said it when we were talking right before we recorded Mario, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. Mario, Mario. The thing I love about Bob Hoskins that people who, if you didn't know this, uh, because you've seen him in just maybe this or Mario, is that this dude's British. Mm-hmm. Like, like, uh, what is it? What is that? The, uh, it's not Cockney. Is it? almost, it's yeah. almost got that at like that, you know, uh, I don't know. It's that, uh, gangster style. Yeah. Uh, or it sounds that way to my dumb American ears. But, um, but yeah, uh, the late Bob Hoskins plays Eddie Valiant and man, he just kills it, dude. You know, so because we're going to talk about this in special effects, but you have to talk about that you're acting with two things that aren't there. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's like a tennis ball that you're looking at. Sometimes it's somebody in a green spandex thing, whatever it will. I don't even know if they did the spandex back then, but I don't know. A, you know, a lot of the times you're acting to something where you're not getting any reaction. So you have to work a little harder and imagine that that person's reacting a certain way to you. You want to hear who uh, didn't accept this role? Who's that? So there's a couple primary choices. Uh, Spielberg's first choice, Harrison Ford. That would have been a completely different movie. Second wow. one, Chevy Chase. Again, uh, Harrison, that would have been weird. Harrison Ford, too expensive. Chevy, Chevy Chase, not interested. Uh, Bill Murray. It would have been a wholly different movie in tone if yep. it was Bill Murray. Um, uh, Eddie Murphy turned down the role. Man, they went for all the big, big uh, comedic actors at the time. There's more. Robin Williams, Robert Redford, Jack. Robin Nicholson. Williams would have done a good job. I think he would have been. He would have stolen the show, though. He would, he would have been have more been, manic than Ra- Roger. This is more of a straight man. Yeah. Eddie Valiant is a straight man as opposed to to play off the tunes. Uh, again, Robin Williams, Robert Redford. Yes, that Robert Redford. <laughs> what? Hail Hydra. Uh, <laughs> uh, here, here's a fun one. Jack Nicholson. Oh, my God. That would have been weird, too. Yeah, it would have been like a David Lynch movie almost at that point. <laughs> uh, here we go. Sylvester Stallone. Uh, probably the, yeah, I don't know. Uh, here, here's, this one probably would have been the most, the closest to Bob Hoskins. Wallace Shawn. Who? The guy from Princess Bride. Oh, yeah. oh, 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 really? I mean, in look, maybe more okay. so. He's, he's yeah. like a schleppy kind of guy. Um, Ed Harris. That's weird. Just 
What is he going to yeah. have a machine gun on him? No, <laughs> that would have been weird too. For or, real. or or like a Apollo thirteen waistcoat uh, Good vest. God. Yeah, uh, Charles Grodin, which could have been pretty good. That could have worked. I could see yeah. Grodin do it. Yeah, yeah, and Don Lane. Um, I don't know who that is. He's a uh, Australian. I don't. I don't know who he is. They uh, went with the Br- the Brit. They went with the English actor Bob Hoskins, and thank God they did, dude. Bob, I thought kills it as this character. Um, yeah, they, they picked him because he looked like he belonged in that area, which which yes. is kind of true. Yeah, and and again, short he, stout detective. The tie is it. just long enough for his torso. Oh, don't you love those those old school uh, short, super wide, fat ties that they used to wear? Yeah, like I don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Christopher Lloyd, the other the other you know living being on this that was the headliner dude. We're talking. This is Doc Brown. Always oh, going to yeah. be Doc Brown. Anytime I see Christopher Lloyd, it's Doc Brown. Even if I'm watching Taxi. It's like, this is Doc Brown. This, this character is like, this is like if Doc Brown was committed and never commended, you know, when the newspaper changed and back to the future two yep. or three, yeah, it was two. Uh, and he escaped the mental asylum. This is how he would have acted. <laughs> so this is a, this is a sequel to alternate 1985. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, um, here, hold on. You want to hear who auditioned for this role? Who's that? Tim Curry. Oh, I would have been see good. that. Nice. Uh, let's see here. Uh, but here we go. Uh, but afterwards, the producers found him too terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Here we go. Christopher Lee. Yes. Ooh, Count Dooku. Yes. Turned, considered, but turned it down. Dracula, dude. I know. Yeah. John Cleese uh, expressed interest, but was deemed not scary enough. I was going to say, huh? Uh, here, here, this is where we get into the otter, more otter ones, uh, more odd ones, not otter. Uh, Peter Tool, Peter O'Toole, excuse me. Okay. Uh, F, mm. F. Murray Abraham, the voice of Conchu. That, that, that voice would have been too. I mean, I know that's not his voice, but you know. Yeah. Uh, a British actor, Roddy McDowell. I've heard the name. Oh, he was in uh, Planet of the. Oh, he was Caesar in the original Planet of the Apes. Okay. Uh, Eddie uh, Deason. Uh, let's see. He was in Greece and Greece too. Oh, he was the nerd that the, Eugene from Greece and Greece too. Oh, okay. As so, Doom. Uh, yeah, no, that wouldn't have worked. That's that's too much of a nebbish Doom. Yeah. Uh, and here we go. You tell me which one you want this to be. Sting was also considered for the role. Which one do you I want it to I be? I don't think he was. I think which, he was just wrestling in. <laughs> in what what was the promotion at the time he wouldn't have been uh, he, he wouldn't have been able to dude he, uh this was right around <laughs> jcp where you where see him bought. though as the crow sting wearing that hat dude no, in the long black overcoat. no <laughs> man called sting I want uh, sting to play God, this. that's amazing uh christopher lloyd though this performance was killer dude we said it earlier oh, yeah. right like <laughs> what an amazing performance and like mm-hmm. anytime he was on screen he just chews it up it's just like uh, he made a meal and it was, and it's the kind you like, you enjoy watching. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Other, other live action, Joanna Cassidy played Dolores. She was, she was serviceable. You know, I felt like she'd played that character pretty well. And like you said, the kind of woman that grew up during these times, like she was learning, you know, not learning, but she was um, grinding and just kind of tired of the life. She wanted to, to go away. I think she did good. Dude. She was in Blade Runner. Who was she in Blade Runner? She was Zora. One of the replicants really interesting i didn't know that no me neither uh rk maroon the guy that played him was legit a 1940s head of a of a a studio he looked the part sounded the part like i thought he did awesome this guy british too alan tilvern 
Stubby K plays Marvin Acme again. Very believable. He looked like that kind of guy back in the day. The he would shake your hand and buzz it, and then just get a kick out of it. Well, and he was he was in vaudeville, so he lived in this time. So he brought real life to it. Probably yeah. based this on a a real person, a real uh, you know a, uh, some sort of showtimey guy, like a, a Barnum, a, a Barnum and Bailey style guy, PT Barnum or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, those are most of our main actors that are live action. Everybody else, we have voices. Um, we have Roger Rabbit's voice, Charles Fleischer, which oh, he did a few. But yeah, yeah, I'm going to say so with with these voices, I'm going to say right across the board that I love them all. And I thought everybody did a great voice. Uh, yeah. Kat, Kathleen Turner. We had the Mel Blanc in this as well. Blank. Blank. Mel, Blanc. Mel Blanc. Blank. Yeah. Mel Blanc. Mel Blanc, dude. This dude's the, I mean, he's famous. He's the voice who voiced Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, um, name him, right? Uh, Elmer Porky Fudd. Pig, Elmer Fudd, Foghorn Leghorn, um, Yosemite Sam, yep. uh, but but not in this movie. Oh, he um, didn't do it in this movie? No, no. This was the last movie Mel Blanc did before he died. Oh, actually. wow. I did uh, not know that. Um, yeah, dude, the amount of, yeah, the amount of people that he had uh, did, you know, like, it's it's an amazing. Daffy Duck, Speedy Gonzalez. Um, Toucan Sam. He did the first voice for Toucan Sam. I don't doubt it. Um, Secret Squirrel, Speed Buggy, Captain Caveman. Mm-hmm. I loved Captain Caveman when I was a kid. So yeah, so we get him in this, and we get a lot of other voice actors. Uh, Richard Williams does the voice for Droopy the dog, um, which I always liked Droopy too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so put upon. <laughs> uh, Baby Herman, Lou Hirsch plays Baby Herman. But overall, dude, yeah, these were our actors and actresses. And for me, tops on everyone. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I mean, down to the weasels. All right, let's move on now to the music, the soundtrack, the score. This was a cartoon score. Uh-huh. So this was a cartoon score, but we also got 1940s kind of era, uh, big, big band music or big score, band jazz, or, orchestral jazz. Yes. That basically what uh, what's his name Rick Rubin that wall mm-hmm. of sound but mm-hmm. where you actually have an entire wall of people that make sound yes yes that's what we had and it, it fits this movie perfectly like you have was, your regular yeah. score to go along with when things were going you know there was exciting things happening chase scenes there was that you know maybe the fight at the end there's a lot of that kind of scoring happening but like when you're to be when you're meant to be feeling like you're in the 40s, the music happening at that time again was that, like you said, that jazz, that era. Um, and then again, the tunes you have. If you've ever watched the Looney Tunes, right, you know what that what I mean. You talk about the the, the orchestra that plays that kind of bouncy, upbeat kind of, dun, 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 you know, a lot of horns and a lot of strings, a lot of xylophones. Um, yeah. Oh, a lot of xylophones. Um, and then again, the, the piano, the piano duel, that was just amazing as well. So yeah, this, this movie oh. just for me kills it and tops it with the score. Well, you know, who did the score was, was Alan. So Alan Silvestri, who does he work with his Robert Zemeckis on a lot of things did back to the future. You know, that back to the future oh, bumper. That's what I know. Uh, he did. Well, here we go. Uh, back to the future film series who frame Roger rabbit Forrest Gump, Castaway, oh, Polar Forrest Express, Gump come on um, predator killer. Bodyguard, Parent Trap, Stuart Little. Imagine having that resume, dude. Like, like you, you pull your resume out and it's got all those movies on there. And then it says G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. 
<laughs> I mean, all I gotta do is play the opening three minutes for GI Joe: The Rise of Cobra, and it's a million dollar block. Uh, he also did a bunch of um, MCU movies. I thought he did something for Rocky, one of the Rocky movies, but mm-hmm. that's not Alan Silvestri. That's um, I can't remember his name right now, but it was him. But yeah, dude, I thought the score, the music on this was good. Uh, but yeah, th- this movie, to your point, is is just. Or not the movie itself, but the soundtrack is like everything else, very timely mm-hmm. uh, and, and just makes so much sense to, you know, everything just fits where it should, as it should. Cool. Cool. Let's jump into special effects. Cause this takes a lot of special effects for this film. Just to be able to film live action and cartoon, there's a lot of work that comes into it. And I have to tell you, for, for the time, right, for the, what they had, the technology they had at the time, this movie was, it felt cutting edge. It wasn't the first time, like, we'd seen this in the past. There's the, the very famous, famous clip from, I forgot what movie it is, but or, or what it's from, but what's his name, that the singer and dancer from back in the day does this tap dance routine with um, Tom uh, Jerry it, from Tom and Jerry. Is that Singing in the Rain? Is it Fred Astaire? Uh, yeah, maybe. Fred Astaire and Jerry do this tap dance routine that's, you know, synced up so that it's happened before, right? We're going to be talking about a movie next week that came before this one. So that again, they've done the live action and cartoons um, before, but it was, it was now with kind of the updated technology at the time uh, that this film was made, where you saw it hit a different level, looked a lot more realistic. We were watching, we were watching things react in the real world to the cartoons themselves, not just the cartoons moving through inside the real world. Right. So like, Mm -hmm. so like there's the moment when, when he he's dunking Roger into the water and he pulls him out and he sprays that spray of water coming Mm -hmm. out of his mouth. It wasn't cartoon water. It was the real water. Right. So in terms of that, man, it, it, you got to say how good it really looks. You know what I mean? It really looks great. Well, and that, that subtlety is, you know, what makes a good movie great. Yeah. You know, he's interacting with real world things yeah. as a cartoon and spitting out real world water, not to your point, the easy way of doing it, cartoon water. Right. And um, there, I was going to say, but however it was, it's not going to be perfect because at the time they they only have the technology and, and the, you know, the um, techniques that they had at that time. Right. I'm sure it's it's bit we have computer technology now that it can blow that stuff away. But back then they had to do it a certain way to make it work out. So there are moments in this, if you're really looking, there are moments when eye lines, like what they're looking at, is slightly off. Mm-hmm. Right. But it doesn't take away from this film for me. For me, you know, it's just me being that kind of person that really looks into it saying, Oh, I can see there that you know it wasn't exactly where it should be. Um but for me, I mean, the, the special effects on this, you can't, what are you going to say? Just because it's not on the eye line that, that it was crap special effects. These were killer, dude. I mean, unless you're looking for that kind of thing. Yeah. You're really not going to notice much. Um, I mean, it could be that, you know, it, a lot of these are easily explainable too, is like, there's something, there's always something happening over the shoulder or over the mm-hmm. back in mm-hmm. the background. Like when he and Roger are, when the, when they hear the weasels, mm-hmm. you know, Eddie could be like looking up over roger to the window because mm-hmm. his, I mean, so it could be clever blocking as well to to compensate for that for because it's 1988 when this movie came out so yeah 
That's what I'm saying. We still have a lot more, a lot of ways to go in terms of how animated technology is going to evolve after that. But this is one of the ones I feel like they were starting to show you, look at, look at where we are now since from where we've come, you know what I mean? And uh, I loved it. I said, again, I thought it was great. There was, there was nothing about this that I could say it, it didn't look good at all. Mm-mm, not at all. So, all right, dude, our final thoughts. I think it's going to be very easy to say, so I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to start it, kick it off. Love it. Love this film. Loved it when I was a kid. Loved it. You know, now watching it as an adult, man, I loved it. Um, watching it as an adult, I got a little bit more of the adult jokes, which was awesome. It was, I, I saw the kind of clever writing as well in this film, um, but it's just fun. And it's that it was, it, it taps into that thing when we were kids, how much we loved cartoons. Like, wouldn't it be cool if there was a world like Toontown and we could visit it, not live in it, but visit it. Yeah. Um, and this plays into it. This also plays into, you know, um, my love of cartoons is from being a kid. It plays into my love of that romantic 40s era Hollywood. It plays into all of those things. So um, killer film, you know, seeing it again just kind of reinforces it. And I'm going to give it five out of five shaves and a haircuts, two bits. I, uh, I can go, I can go right along with that. I mean, we've been pretty open about the fact that we both really enjoy this movie, uh, if not in the past on this viewing. Um, you know, it's it's got a great cast. It's got very believable acting. Uh, the soundtrack is very timely and very appropriate for the content and the subject matter being the cartoons and, and you know, the late 40s. The, you know, all the details down to the news being delivered in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. The newspapers, the way they look and feel. I mean, there it, it looks. I mean, look. I guess more so than feel because guess what? I wasn't there. Hey, but the way they the way that it looks is there's a feel. I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you mean. There's a textile interpretation, a visual interpretation of the tactile matter. Yeah. Uh, uh, there, but you know, just merging the Disney and Warner Brothers characters and how they interact and seeing the parody of Daffy Duck and Donald Duck and how it's like. Well, gee, they look all the same. It's it, that, that subtlety of putting them as like, oh, the dueling ducks or whatever they called the mm-hmm. show. Uh, and, and right down to what they would do. The only thing they didn't do was spin uh, Daffy Duck's bill around his face. Yeah. Uh, or, or have him pick it up and put it back on his face, which is always. <laughs> Slide down. Yeah. Um, but having Yosemite Sam screaming and ho- hooting and hollering because his, his literally his ass was on fire. <laughs> <You know? laughs> my, my biscuits are burning. Yeah. Yeah, and and doing it in a in a Yosemite Sam kind of way, um, the gun with the gift from Yosemite Sam, <laughs> um, Roger Rabbit being a Bugs type thing. Uh, mm-hmm. We referenced it very, you know, the gags uh, referencing it earlier when Eddie went and peered through the keyhole of not Jessica Rabbit, uh, you know, that whole cartoon the cartoon mm-hmm. tropes of he's falling without a parachute, yeah. lands on the uh, the flagpole. Tweety comes out. And he runs out of piggies and Eddie keeps falling. And then in comes Mickey with a parachute, Donald with a parachute and a spare. Eddie wants the spare, but Mickey doesn't think he does. So Bugs gives him some spare. It's a spare tire. The stupid dad jokes that are timeless. Uh, and then, you know, when not Jessica Rabbit is running at him and mm-hmm. he rips up the, the painted white line of and and moves it over to the wall and causes her to splash. It's just so ridiculous. Yeah. And it's such a embodiment of cartoons at the time, minus the perceived racism. 
Yeah, true. Uh, Very true. You know, so it, it's it's a great callback, and I think it hits on so many different age brackets as well. You know that it's you know I, I the the film. I mean, I'm rambling here. I mean, it cost fifty million to make in 1988 money. Wow. Made 329, almost 330 million again in 1988 money. Dang. And you know in 2022, I watched for the low low price of eight dollars a month as many times as I want. Yeah. And I can't disagree with you, Chris, this, the, the script is so tight. Everything that's done. It's all, it, I mean, it should be it's, uh, Spielberg and Zemeckis. I mean, these guys worked together three years prior and I can't find a flaw, in, an obvious flaw in back to the future. The first one. Um, I can't really find a flaw in this script either or any of the presentation. I have to go with a five on this one because it is, not only so good now, but it was so good when I was a kid. So yeah, five, five out of five, five shaves and a haircuts. Heck yeah. Uh, and the aforementioned two bits. Heck yeah. There you go. So that's who framed Roger rabbit. So like I, I made mention of it just a little bit ago, what we're going to be talking about next week, we're going to kind of stay in this animated live action world, but we're going back a few years. Was this seventies or sixties? I can't remember now. So I think it was 73. Okay, 70s. Um, I've only I've seen this when I was a kid. So maybe two or three times when I was young. And when I say young, I'm thinking nine, eight or nine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Haven't seen it since. So I'm really kind of like excited to jump into it again to see how it feels. Is it going to have the Who Framed Roger Rabbit feel or is it going to have the never ending story feel for me? We'll see. But next week, we're checking out a Disney classic with Angela Lansbury called Bed knobs and broomsticks. All right, I know it's not ladylike. Lakipo, Nikrif, Scrumpet, Leech. Uh, 1971 by the way nice right out of it still has that almost light late 60s feel to the animation style to a lot of the just the look of the film Um, well it's cell animation at that point still and i think if i'm not mistaken it takes place in the 40s Another one that takes place in the forties. I think it's during World War Two. Um, I think yeah, that's a Nazis big piece of this thing. Yeah, the bombings of in in England are uh, play a, uh, in London play a part in this movie. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it, dude. So we'll see. We'll see how it is. Uh, checking out some of the older stuff. Have you ever seen Angela Lansbury in anything other than Murder She Wrote? <laughs> yes, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> uh, as a teapot. <laughs> 
Yes. Yeah. Um, and which also is cleverly written with chip being a cup that's missing a small little sliver <laughs> and the candlestick, his name being Lumiere, which is French for the word light. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, maybe we'll hit that at some point in the future, but yeah, we'll check out. We're checking out bed knobs and broomsticks. Um, yeah. So anyway, yeah. there you go. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we appreciate it. Make sure uh, to just be good people. Sean, got anything to say? Be good people and make sure you smash that like button. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that so much. That saying. And with that, it is now time to unsilence your phones.